Welcome to the Microsoft Industry Experiences Team Podcast. I'm your host, David Starr, and in this series, you will hear from leaders across various industries discussing the impact of digital disruption and innovation, sharing how they've used Azure to transform their business. You can find our team online at aka.ms slash indxp or on Twitter at industryxp. Hi, this is your host, David Starr. Today we have a couple of guests who are going to be talking about blockchain and manufacturing with us. First, we have Joel Nydick, who is the Director of Research and Development for ITAMCO and the CEO of SimbaChain. And blockchain is the service platform that runs on Microsoft Azure. Welcome, Joel. Thank you, David. Diego Tamburini is the Principal Industry Lead for Azure Manufacturing in the Microsoft Industry Experience team, where he focuses on developing technical content to help manufacturing companies and software developers deliver their solutions on Azure at scale. Thanks for being here, Diego. Thank you, David. In this episode, we will be discussing blockchain in manufacturing, including blockchain as a service, the applicability of blockchain for manufacturing, how to get started with such a complex technology, and how blockchain can help with compliance. First of all, I'll ask you, Joel, can you tell us a little bit about your organizations, ITAMCO and SimbaChain? Sure. So SimbaChain specifically is a startup. It was sprung out of a research and development grant that we received from DARPA when ITAMCO and Notre Dame joined forces to develop blockchain secure messaging application. Since then, we've developed it into a blockchain-as-a-service platform that anybody, regardless of your skill set, developer or you know, brand new to blockchain, can basically easily deploy distributed applications. ITAMCO specifically is a manufacturer. Uh, we're an OEM that we work mostly in the gear manufacturing industry, and we develop products for companies like General Electric and Caterpillar. So as you mentioned, you've got a blockchain product as a service. And... What do customers get from that model? The model there for or the business model regarding the service that we're providing is that they don't have to worry about the backend connectivity or different things with how blockchain operates. They're able to harness the power of uh, maybe an application that they've already developed and they don't have to rewire it to use blockchain. So if they're looking for things that are like a trusted network, things that go outside their four walls they want to have control of, that there's not a central authority, that's where blockchain really has that power. So we're looking more into supply chain and manufacturing networks that um, may not be integrated with their supplier networks or their customer networks. And that's the service we provide. So it's a very, a very easily implemented backend, and they don't have to know about the internal networking of blockchain. So do you abstract that with APIs, or how do you provide that access? Yeah, so basically they enter in their their business model, so they put in their assets and transactions and define those, and we basically create a workflow diagram. And then, yeah, the abstraction layer is an API that we bring to them that they can easily plug and play into their, their legacy applications. And this makes it really easy from, you know, as we get talking into smart contracts and different things like that, it's a really easy way to implement that to their current business processes. I wanted to, to add to what Joel just said, that the model that Simba is following, which is kind of adding 
use case specific APIs on top of the blockchain infrastructure is actually a model that we're seeing more and more as the blockchain uh, hype is starting to settle down. So customers uh, in a manufacturing company will rarely interact with the blockchain directly. They'll most likely do it through some partner application like Joel's Simba chain that abstracts or, or hides the details of the, the specific blockchain implementation in a, in a more business-oriented fashion. Yeah, to expand on that just a little bit, there is a lot of hype and noise around blockchain in general. Can you help us see the applicability in manufacturing, Joel? Yeah, sure. So manufacturing, for the most part, we operate off of trusted trusted networks. I mean, I know who my customer is. I know who my suppliers are. You know, we exchange emails and, and documentation, whether it be in a shared network that we're secure files, file sharing or whatever. But I think where it comes into is highly regulated manufacturing processes. So I'm talking about aerospace, the medical industry. We're thinking about people that are doing additive manufacturing that they need to validate where did I get this material? How was the quality of the material? Is it to specification? And the different industries like aerospace industry or you know the FDA regarding the medical industry, they need to know and be able to present in a ledger format, which is basically blockchain, that it is validated and that it has not been compromised and it's trusted. So that's where you know not only the security layer, but we're really focusing on that trusted layer in blockchain and that's what it actually presents so we can have different operators that aren't in our trusted network and we can trust them and that's really where blockchain is proficient you know it's not needed in an area where you're you maybe it's just one or two suppliers in your joint but these are more for complex supply chains that i don't always know where my second third fourth tier supplier got their uh, raw materials Blockchain, it sounds scary and it sounds like, you know, it's kind of like how the internet first came out, but it really is going to revolutionize how we, even from mortgages and title companies and even our identities, uh, healthcare, it's really going to revolutionize everything. And specifically, I think manufacturing is really going to benefit from the utilization of, of blockchain. It sounds like you're in a closed rather than an open consortium. Is that correct or no? Yeah, these would be more of a closed consortium that you're looking to formulate. It could be from a customer viewpoint where he's just looking into all of his different supplier networks. I'm talking like a large OEM. Or it could be a consortium like a bunch of small businesses that are working on, you know, related manufacturing processes that are supplying multiple industries. I'm thinking about like the automotive industry where they have multiple supplier networks that aren't completely focused just on their products, but they might supply other automotive OEMs trying to track those. And that's where we are seeing blockchain applications for manufacturing starting to gravitate. So in, in contrast to the first killer application for blockchain, which was a cryptocurrency, blockchains for manufacturing tend to make more sense in, in closed consortia instead of just open applications like Bitcoin, still where distributed trust is critical. So it's still close, but you still need the trust. So you're seeing the early adopter use cases in manufacturing 
are around supply chain security, visibility, transactions recording, and also other big one is product provenance and, and traceability. If you have a material, a raw material, or a spare part, how do you ensure that this is a legitimate part or a raw material that is not a conflict material? And then uh, other use cases like issues, investigations, audits, asset management. So still in closed consortia, but where distributed trust is critical. That is, in my opinion, the the sweet spot for blockchain in manufacturing. Is that how you see it, Joel? Yeah, I think, it, and especially in that intellectual property, you know, protecting that, because if you look at the future will be where a supply store, let's say it's a farm supply store, they're able to additively or 3D print an object that's in a catalog that's essentially stored on the blockchain, and then and everybody's paid along that way. So whether it's back to the OEM or distributors, or what have you, but that way that IP is protected and there's not counterfeit parts and things like that being printed. And, and as you can imagine, in a highly regulated area like in aerospace or in medical, that would be especially uh, important. We've talked a little bit about how blockchain can be addressed, but it's usually got a pretty good learning curve for people who are getting started. Is there a way for them to get started more easily with the abstraction layer that you've built over it? Yeah, exactly. So we have open sourced um, Android and iOS and web apps. So people that know, you know, Objective-C or, you know, they've been able to develop their own mobile applications or, or Android applications, they can use our open source tools that connect with our API. So literally, it's a few clicks on our platform to develop the backend network. So they can develop their whole distributed network. Uh, Ethereum and Hyperledger is their choice. And then they can deploy that uh, very rapidly. And we're hosted on Microsoft Azure, so there's a whole nother suite of tools that Microsoft Azure uh, allows them to implement. And so I think there's a good synergy there that we're able to present to, you know, beginners. Adding to that, uh, one of the tools that Joel is referring to that I encourage our listeners to, to take a look at is the is the new Azure blockchain workbench, which is basically I think of it as a, as a development environment to develop, a test, and deploy business applications built on top of a blockchain infrastructure. Well, you mentioned Azure there. What's your relationship with Microsoft, and what have you gotten out of that? It's been a very big benefit because um, Microsoft has um, given us a lot of support and just implementing our back end and, and presenting, you know, giving us the ability to uh, easily spin up our, our storage networks and different things like that because we not only offer the blockchain network that we're, you know, different nodes that we're spinning up, but we also offer off-chain storage, which is the interplanetary file system and Ceph. And these are just distributed file storage systems that to keep the blockchain, you know, as you've probably heard, blockchain has a scalability issue. So this is to keep the transactions minimal on the blockchain and then really where you're storing your files and other things are in trusted storage that you have encrypted hash codes that relate back to the blockchain too. So uh, those addresses are linked and secured and, and encrypted. That's so where Microsoft's really, we've benefited from that and having that, uh, that scalability of the platform. 
It sounds like what a best practice might be here is keep as little data in the blockchain node as possible and have it point elsewhere to some secure data source. Right, yeah, you're trying to secure the transactions and, and you can secure the transactions and validate that that is, when we think about accounting or ledger or even a lawyer, we're just trying to validate that that was the right text file or whatever that was located or, or fought, you know, the program file or whatever. And what we're really trying to do is keep that, you can have centralized storage or distributed storage um, ability. So not only can you store it in SQL database, you could store it in, like I mentioned, these other distributed file storage systems that were developed for blockchain. So that's, we're talking about IPFS and there's even Store J, I think we installed, and some other blockchain networks that are allow you to store files that are off-chain or related. Does that off-chain storage address some of the criticism about blockchain that, that is quote-unquote slow? Is it that people are trying to store too much stuff in the blockchain and, and slowing down the processing? Can, can you say more about that? Because I, I think it's important regarding the, the criticism of some people about the the performance of blockchains and its relationship with storage. Ethereum has this problem. So on the main test network, not the main test network, just the main Ethereum network, it costs for one megabyte of storage, it costs $10,000. So that's quite expensive. So lots of ether just to store that. What they're trying to do is sharding where they're actually only maintaining there's these parent nodes and then child nodes that only store the most recent data. So it's like a first in, first out. So once again, we keep on going back to accounting terms. I think the guy that invented blockchain had to have been somewhat accounting background. Where we've kind of looked at it is like, well, let's store, yeah, exactly. Let's speed up those transactions by having that off-chain storage. And that's the answer that we're bringing forth to, to do that. And there's, we're not the only ones, I mean, that are implementing that. I think we just have a very simple way of doing it and a novel way of uh, implementing that. So there, it's not a new theory, but it's, it is what people are moving towards. And also, it depends on what your redundancy is, too. Do you want to have a lot of nodes out there so you have thousands of nodes? Or is it better just to have, in a private consortium, just have five or ten nodes, and those are the ones that are gaining consensus? But along with that, we're harnessing the power of that off-chain storage that's secure as well. So you talked about working in Azure. Are you guys using primarily PaaS services or platform as a service, or are you using VMs and and such through IaaS? Yeah, so it's a combination of both. But yes, we have VMs spun up. There's services that are spun up as well. So we have a combination of things that create that basically make up our platform and make it you know very user friendly. So yeah, it's a good it's a good combination. Sometimes this is a little difficult in talking it through uh, without being able to draw, but could you talk us through your solution just a little bit and how it's organized? I'll talk about it from Ethereum standpoint. So what you have to do is you have to have a wallet. And the reason why you have to have a wallet, and this isn't a wallet that's stored, it's really a wallet on the blockchain. And so you have it, it's a public address. So this is your public email address and you have a private key that's associated that, that, which is basically your password. And that's only something that you know. So you don't want to share that with anybody because then they'll have access all your transactions on the blockchain and have access to your wallet. So what they need to do is sign up. Uh, we have a really easy way to do a wallet 
it'll generate the wallet right away for you, give you a public address with a private key, and you, on the test network, you get some ether to begin with. So it's really easy. We have a quick walkthrough to get started with that. The reason why you have to have that is because you have to sign these transactions. You're putting a transaction on the blockchain. You have to sign that transaction. The other part of what we do is there's a wizard. So you get your wallet. Now you're able to develop your smart contract. And that smart contract is an executable contract. That's basically a coded contract that can execute when certain conditions are made. And then the person will program. Actually, they just select, okay, I'm going to track this container and it's going to go to this supplier. And next it's going to go to that supplier. And, and so they build their whole business flow diagram. And then what happens is once they hit the next button, it'll generate their API that they connect their applications to. And then they can choose their off-chain storage if they want to do on-chain or off-chain storage, however they want to do it. We suggest the off-chain because it keeps it a lot lighter that way. And then they just hit deploy. And it, right then, they deployed their entire blockchain smart contract and network uh, right onto the Ethereum network. And whether they're using a test network or private nodes that they've spun up, on Azure, that's their choice. It walks them through. It's a, it's a four-step process. You can't get to number two until you've done number one, and you can't get to three until you've done one and two. So it, it just steps them right through, and then have to have a deploy button right at the end. So there's actually no coding involved in the whole process. And it also sounds like they don't have to talk to Azure directly, or they don't have to go to the portal directly. You're abstracting that in your product. That's correct. They get, but they get to harness the power of Azure. That's the beauty of it, all built, all built on Microsoft Azure. If there's more high-end work that they want to do, they can go to Microsoft Azure Workbench and do more uh, distributed application blockchain programming. You mentioned in an earlier conversation that we had that you guys have a freemium model, even though you work with these really big organizations. Can you tell us a little bit about why you went that direction? Yeah, so you can sign up to our platform for just one application, and it's $99. It's very inexpensive, and then there's just transaction fees that go on with that to use our API. And we did that because developers are really where blockchain is going to take off. So it's even the indie developers, and they're going to be doing programming for small and medium-sized business. So it's very much an app store model where you can see how Apple and Google Play and even Microsoft Marketplace, where they've developed this whole suite of applications that harness their backend power. And that's where we think we'll get critical mass to build out and get more people interested in doing blockchain and distributed applications. And then the focus, obviously, on the enterprise side is government enterprise. You know, those are a lot longer lead time contracts, but they also have a need to implement. And we want to get their developers also developing on our platform. So that's how we've approached the freemium model to get interest in, you know, minimal support, and then enterprise and government have a higher-end support from our, from our organization. You've mentioned your government business a couple of times now, and I've got one last question for you, and that is every time the word DARPA comes up or the acronym DARPA comes up, uh, nerds' ears perk right up because they do such interesting things with technology. If possible, could you tell us a little bit about what you guys did with DARPA? Sure, yeah. So that's how, what kickstarted our company. We submitted a, a grant on a grant that they were wanting a secure ledger for communications, for being also DFAR, um, and don't ask me what the acronym is, but it has to do with federal regulations and making sure that things are compliant. 
you know, you'll hear about non-repudiation or immutability. Those are blockchain buzzwords for being decentralized and trust. That was a very exciting project that we were able to participate in, and that continues on. So we're doing work with, you know, the Navy and Air Force, the Department of Energy. We just want a grant on for secure solar transactions. So we're harnessing our Simba platform to allow for all these instances of when these government entities or, or people need a distributed secure ledger that needs to be able to be audited. And that's really what blockchain allows for. That's fascinating. I've definitely learned a few things today, but we've come to our time. So I want to say thank you so much to Joel for joining us and Diego. Thank you, David. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, David. And, and thank you, Joel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Microsoft Industry Experiences Team podcast, the show that explores how industry experts are transforming businesses with Azure. Visit our team at aka.ms slash I-N-D-X-P. And don't forget to join us for our next episode.